0: just about a year old are we too young to have an archive edition
1: nope after we take a look at the news of the week it'll be time for a classic interview from the two minute time lord podcast
0: paul cornell may say there's no such thing as doctor who canon he's right but chip talks to someone who studies canon for a living
1: if doctor who is your religion this is the podcast for you
0: on the june 12th edition of this week in time travel I very much would like to crawl into a dark hole and not exist for the next couple of days.
1: I am fried like a potato. I am fried like a Twinkie. I am fried. I'm just fried.
0: It's It's been a week, folks. We're going to take some time.
1: We're having a really brief news section on this week's podcast. Some good stuff happened this week, some good stuff to talk about, but the bulk of this episode is going to be a archive interview from the Two Minute Time Lord podcast back in 2013 about Doctor Who and Canon. More about that in a bit. We've been talking a lot about Twitch the last couple of weeks. This is, of course, the online cultural event of the century. It is turning gamers into Doctor Who fans left, right, and everywhere. I think the gaming industry is going to be very upset with Twitch because fans aren't going to spend money on computer games anymore. They're just going to spend money on Doctor Who DVDs, am I right? Towards the end of the week, something glorious happened, which I haven't been able to watch because I can't find the archive video of it. Alyssa, please tell our listeners why they need to watch our patron saint, Katie Manning at work.
0: Yes, it uh, is time for the third Doctor on Twitch's live viewing of the classic Doctor Who series. We have unfortunately blasted through the first and second Doctor by virtue of the fact that A, they don't have rights to all of the stories. B, many of them are missing. C, many of them are reconstructions to which they do not have uh, permission to be able to share them on Twitch. So there is precious little material for those two Doctors to share. But... We do get into the third doctor now and quite a bit of that possibly except the Dalek episodes is available for viewing and our lovely patron saint Katie Manning showed up for the pre-show interview with the cast podcast to talk about the third doctor era of Doctor Who. It was a delight to watch. Katie Manning is just I mean, if you haven't seen Katie Manning at a convention, she's just... Madcap Bonkers ridiculous and it's a joy and a delight and a little bit terrifying to watch. The last convention I saw her at, she managed to terrify and inspire Ingrid Oliver with all of her stories of hanging out with basically the crème de la crème of the British rock scene in her youth. It was quite a tale to tell. And she drops into about half a dozen different accents during the course of this Pre show interview. Her hands are everywhere. You see Paul Cornell in the corner, just like ducking and weaving as Katie Manning just takes over the entire space. It was quite a sight to behold, and I am looking forward to even more of these pre show interviews because this was the first I actually got to watch, and they're kind of a delight.
1: Yeah, I missed it. So I checked the website and either I was totally looking in the wrong place or they just haven't posted the archive version yet. I could find the first and second Doctor pre-shows, but not this one. And after seeing your running Twitter and Slack commentaries about this thing, it just sounds like a thing of not just beauty, but possible abstract art.
0: I just have a lot of fun whenever Katie Manning is in a room. It's kind of impossible not to smile when she just goes off on one of her stories. Also, if you haven't had the opportunity, Katie Manning gives the best hugs.
1: So Twitch is into the third Doctor right now. And hopefully by the time this podcast is released, you'll be able to easily find the third Doctor pre-show and much fun will be had. If you happen to be in the UK, you have got absolute and complete and total access to the entire modern series of Doctor Who?
0: It's basically binge viewing extravaganza because BBC iPlayer in the lead up to Jodie Whitaker's and Chris Chibnall's series debut has put the entire modern series of Doctor Who up. So go have fun. Binge watch away. Enjoy. Americans remember it's still available on Amazon Prime before you cry yourself to sleep at night
1: right they're totally promoting this for jody whittaker's season and i believe that these will all disappear around the same time that the show comes back presumably in october
0: and finally the seventh doctor mini comic series debuted this week it's written by andrew cartmel himself and drawn by christopher jones and chip you got a copy of this as well what did you think
1: Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I love this thing. I am a fan of, generally speaking, the whole range of Titan uh, comics. I don't get all of them every month. I'm catching up where I can. Remembrance of the Daleks is not the most unconventional. It is not the most groundbreaking episode of classic Doctor Who. But it is my favorite Seventh Doctor story because there is just something so simple and well-executed about it. You get the introduction of the countermeasures team. You get a lot of running and jumping you got, and explosions. It's it's just a great action story that also gives you a darker look at the Doctor. And this story, written by the script editor at the time uh, and executive produced by Ben Aronovich, who wrote that episode, just really fits into that era of the seventh doctor where the stories were becoming more serious, but they hadn't quite gotten into ghost light territory. I love it. Ace is phenomenal. The countermeasures team that group Captain Gilmore and the rest have been in so many big finishes. They are back in this story. There is weird, creepy, Alien infestation stuff. There's a 5,000-year-old unearthed spaceship uh, in Australia. All kinds of weird stuff. It's a three-issue miniseries. The first issue is double-sized. I thoroughly recommend this. Uh, Not a whole lot of investment to get a really high-quality Seventh Doctor story.
0: And that's it for the news section this week. And we are going to head back in time to 2013, when Chip on the Two Minute Time Lord podcast recorded the following interview segment uh, with rabid Doctor Who fan, New Testament historian, and professor of religion at Duke University, Mark Goodacre.
1: We ran into Mark in person when Alyssa was in town for a visit over here a couple of weeks ago. Big thanks to Mark for being such a supportive fan of This Week in Time Travel. Chances are, if we've released a podcast and posted about it on Facebook, there he is with a comment consistently. Thank you, Mark. August 2013, when we did this interview, I just really, really wanted to talk with him about what canon means. We were in the middle of some fairly heavy fandom conversations at the time about what is Doctor Who canon, what is not And canon is a religious term, so he knows from canon both in the original sense of the word and in the Doctor Who fandom that he's so involved in. No proselytization in this podcast. It's just Doctor Who geekery at its finest placed in a historical context. A word of warning, Alyssa. This interview was recorded before Night of the Doctor with Paul McGann, which by some definition made the Eighth Doctor's Big Finish companions more canon. So be warned that Mark is actually itching to revisit the conversation and come (laughs) back. So.
0: I look forward to listening to this and then revisiting the conversation with him soon.
1: That would be great. So let's go back to the Two Minute Time Lord podcast for an episode that was absolutely not two minutes long, but it's one of my favorite interviews, and I hope you like it. I wanted to come to you because you are an expert in this uh, this thing that Doctor Who fans have such long and drawn out and bloody arguments over almost literally bloody uh this thing called canon um and i wanted to start off uh, if it's all right with you um i will tell you what i think of or what doctor who fans seem to think of when we have arguments over what what is canon Mm -hmm. in doctor who and you can tell me if this makes any sense whatsoever Mm -hmm. so um When Doctor Who fans think about canon, they think about all the stories that have been told about Doctor Who over 50 years, all the TV shows, uh, the novels, the New Adventures novels, the Missing Adventures novels, the Eighth Doctor and Past Doctor novels, Big Finish, that's a big thing, um, and the new series, and even um, things like Dimensions in Time and Time (laughs) Crash, and they have huge arguments over what is canon. And that seems to be about... um, What counts and what doesn't count? What's real Doctor Who and what is not? So um, is is that when I'm a... If I'm a Doctor Who fan and I'm talking with you and I'm saying, you know, well, that's not canon, is it? (laughs) First of all, am I getting the sort of the personal uh, definition, the fan definition Mm -hmm. of canon right? And second of all,
2: is that really canon? (laughs) (laughs) Well, on one level, it's kind of absurd that... Doctor Who fans are using a term that's derived from the discussion of religion. I mean, lots of Doctor Who fans couldn't care less about religion and are interested in it at all, despite the fact that the hero has got Lord, you know, next to his Yeah, right, name. and he's the lonely you know, guy. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: but, 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 yeah, canon's a religious
2: term. But it's a religious term. I mean, the term is actually derived from early Christian usage. You go right back to the beginning of the millennium, um, back, right back to the first and second centuries, the term canon just means something like rule, measuring rod, something like that. And the early Christians decided that they wanted to have certain ideas of what constitutes authoritative scripture and what doesn't. But as soon as you've said what's in and what's out, you've begun a debate. And the funny thing about Doctor Who fandom is that they talk about canon as if it's this absolutely rigid category with very firm boundaries it's very clear what's in and what's out but when you actually look at the way that the early christians use the term canon it's fluid it's varied it's really difficult to get a focus on it so i think the term canon is is one that we use Probably quite ignorantly, a lot of the time, not wanting to kind of be mean about Doctor Who fans and one myself, but we use it in quite an ignorant way a lot of the time. And we don't really think critically about what we mean by it. We sort of all assume we know. We're talking about the sort of of same thing, you know. Mark, 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 canon is canon.
1: (laughs) It's real Doctor Who or it's not real Doctor Who.
2: It's just that it's just that simple, right? And that well that's the thing isn't it because the fuzzy lines between real Doctor Who and not real Doctor Who are just as fuzzy as the lines when you do the historical study of Christianity or for that matter Judaism or Islam or any of these other things where the lines are not clearly demarcated they're fuzzy and they're, and it's actually quite difficult to get to exactly what is canonical and what's not what's authoritative and what's not. Okay, so when we're fans talking about doctor who we're talking about authoritative
1: authoritative doctor who where it's what's real and what's not what
2: do fans genuinely cling to when they're deciding well the most obvious thing obviously i think is is it on the tv is it on bbc tv if it's on tv part of the main show it's canon and i think we've got a core there you've got an absolute core there of what is actual canon but if you then ask the question why is that canon Then we start saying things like, well, because it comes from the BBC. But then you start saying, but lots of stuff comes from the BBC. And there's a really interesting analogy there to be had between the BBC and the early church. Because if you ask the question, what constitutes scripture? What constitutes early Christian canonical scripture? Well, it's what the church decided. But then the church, just like the BBC, isn't one homogenous entity with elected representatives it's a great sprawling mass of different people at different times and all the rest of it so even if you ask what's what's the role played by the authoritative bbc or the authoritative church <laughs> you're not um you're not clarifying the discussion any because both of those entities are large sprawling massive strange entities
1: I, I, I love thinking about this because it makes me think of Stephen, Mo- Stephen Moffat, Russell T. Davies, John Nathan Turner, Michael Grade even, mm-hmm. <laughs> all as people wearing funny hats mm-hmm. and robes and deciding <laughs> deciding what's in, what's out, or in Grade's case, you know, the whole thing's rubbish and you're out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, let, me, let me grab an example out of Doctor Who history. Um, the Doctor is half human. Mm-hmm. A BBC co-produced mm-hmm. television movie mm-hmm. said so mm-hmm. right there on mm-hmm. the screen. Mm-hmm. That's canon.
2: Mm-hmm. He's half human, right? Right, and, and 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 there you have one one of one of the things that causes all sorts of problems within the study of religious canon as well. Doctor Who fans often talk about canon as if the key thing is continuity and one thing being able to be correlated with another. In fact. Within religious scriptures, you find, as long as you're not a fundamentalist, and I apologise to any fundamentalist listening, whether Doctor Who fundamentalists or Christian fundamentalist or whatever other kind of fundamentalist, but you have within canons all sorts of different emphases, contradictions and strange things going on. And Doctor Who fans often talk as if, The canon is the thing which has all the continuity. The canon is the thing where everyone's agreed. And the non-canonical stuff, the stuff outside of that, is the different stuff. But the example you give there beautifully illustrates the problem of seeing a correlation between canon and continuity. Because the Paul McGann movie famously has that line which lots of us will quite happily... Erase <laughs> erased from, from, from canon But it's there And then we're left for the next sort of 20 years or so Trying to work out what we do with it And that's just the same as it is with early Christian texts and so on You get certain things in certain texts Where the later church starts feeling uncomfortable with them Thinks, oh gosh, I wish I wasn't there And it tries hard to find ways of explaining it away Or in non-canonical texts to explain it away Such that sometimes the biggest continuity stuff is in the non-canonical stuff, it's in the extra stuff. And you can see it in the Doctor Who world. You can see Big Finish, for example, trying to grapple with all the discontinuity, all the continuity errors that the original series throws up, and and kind of explaining them and pouring into the gaps in that material. Just the same in early Christianity.
1: So uh, when Ian Levine is helping to introduce... uh uh, material in, I believe it was Attack of the Cybermen, mm-hmm. uh, where we have uh, attempts to say which is the homeworld, Telos or mm-hmm. Mondas, and all these all, all these other things. You know, um, continuity and canon are mm-hmm. so intertwined in Doctor Who fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there sort of an equivalent in um, like in uh, religious communities, as uh, trying to? trying to stitch together a canon there?
2: Absolutely. And and one of the things that religious figures have always done is they've looked to find ways of harmonizing discrepant texts. So lots of the material, which is non-scriptural, non-canonical, has been written by people trying to explain why there are discontinuities, why there are problems in the original sort of text. But there's a further analogy here, which I think is quite good fun to think about. The great thing about Doctor Who, because it takes place in a universe that keeps changing mm-hmm. keep we- constantly getting rewritten exactly rebooting itself and so on you can have glaring continuity problems because you know when the time war does that rewrite absolutely everything the rebooting of the universe in uh in the matt smith era does that rewrite everything again You've got the same thing actually in lots of religious texts because if you have an apocalyptic worldview, a worldview where basically God is sovereign, God decides what he wants to do, he can rewrite history at any minute and constantly does so and keeps changing the rules as things go on. It's a nice analogy for the way that Doctor Who often changes the straightforward linear time of the space-time continuum. So the thing is, time isn't linear either in the Doctor Who universe, as we all know, we've heard about timey-wimey and all the rest of it, but it's also not linear in the Christian universe because the nature of that that sort of apocalyptic world, that God being sovereign, deciding to do whatever the heck he wants to do, will keep on changing things, rebooting things, and reworking things the whole time. So who?
1: it sounds to me like there's a big difference here in um, who decides... Canon between mm-hmm. the Doctor Who fandom, and uh, first of all, let me back up for a second. Is there anybody else on the planet who actually has these kinds of arguments about what <laughs> canon <laughs> is?
2: That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. I don't, I don't
1: think. think Do- I, I think Doctor Who fans are a little. Mm-hmm unique in that
2: respect. I think we are too. I, and I, I, think, I think we tie ourselves in knots, sometimes unnecessarily. I mean, I, I tend to use the analogy in my teaching, the clearest analogies to go back to the Sherlock Holmes novels. And I think this is where the term canon was probably first introduced. I mean, others can correct me if I'm wrong, but first introduced in, into the discussion of something outside of the Bible and biblical text. And there was always this thought of, well, there's all this Sherlock Holmes stuff, not all of it's written by Conan Doyle. Therefore, there's canonical Holmes and there's non-canonical Holmes. And the canonical Holmes, it's written by Conan Doyle. Our problem is that we haven't got one author. We've got dozens of authors, decades' worth of history. And that makes it much, much harder to pin down the idea of canon in the Doctor Who universe than, the, than we've got, say, in Sherlock Holmes. But I think another example would be uh, Buffy, for example... I mean, there's an interesting case, isn't there, with the Buffy series, which I'm, I'm a fan of, where the comics continue the story after season seven of Buffy. And Joss Whedon basically said, OK, these are it. These are canon. These are the legitimate continu- you know, co- continuation of the series. And so there we have some element of it as well. But It's a bit more clear cut than it is in the Doctor Who universe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because with Doctor Who, I mean, we had something analogous to that. In the early nineties, with the new adventures, you know, where John Nathan Turner basically says, "But like Joss Whedon said with Buffy, we're going on. This is this is canon. This is you know the continuation, the, the the official continuation of of Doctor Who." Um, let's let's actually play with that a little
1: bit because I'd say a lot of Doctor Who fans consider the new adventures canon. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I, I like the, I like the fact that Dr. Who fans and other fans use the word Canon instead of canonical, you know, mm-hmm. it's a Canon, mm-hmm. Canon, Canon is a noun, but now it's of an adjective as well. Right. right. But, um, the new adventure novels, um, continued the Cartmel master plan, mm-hmm. uh, which we, which I discussed with Andrew Cartmel in a recent, uh, to MTL, but, uh, Continuing with the notion that the doctor was the other, was a contemporary of, uh, Rassilon and Omega mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then got rebooted. So, uh, so a lot of the threads that were, um, that were displayed in episodes like Remembrance of the Daleks and Battlefield, um, were actually tackled mm-hmm. in these novels, mm-hmm. uh, Gallifreyans coming from looms and all that other thing, mm-hmm. uh, all that other stuff. However, when the new series contradicted mm-hmm. these novels, um, there was a lot of there, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of turmoil among mm-hmm. the fandom mm-hmm. who can't stand. It's, it's not just the um, idea of the doctor having sexuality mm-hmm. or anything like that. But it's just this is what Doctor Who was, mm-hmm. and now we're doing television shows that don't reflect that anymore. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of uh, is there any kind of corollary to that with um, notions of what? what canon really means in the real world of uh, churches and things
2: well one of the problems you've got again and I I always think that the Doctor universe is far more complicated than any other kind of universe (laughs) we might come up with because you've got these genre differences and when you're dealing with early Christian text you are always dealing with text, there might be letters, there might be gospels, there might be apocalypses, but at the end of the day they're bits of writing on a page we haven't got the thing of one genre which is TV, another genre which is Novels, another genre, which is uh, audio plays and so on. So that kind of complicates things a little bit because the genre itself, I mean, like, so the novel, encourages you you to do certain things that you wouldn't do on on the TV. You can actually see inside the character's head much more. You can hear thoughts much more than you can, you know, on on the TV. Usually we don't often get to hear the doctors in a monologue and that sort of thing. So that kind of makes things a little bit um, tough. But you do have the same thing in that, I'll give you one example from early Christianity, which is that there was one genre in particular that early Christians loved after you begin to get the New Testament crystallising as a set group of texts. They loved depicting dialogues between Jesus and his disciples after his resurrection. The reason they loved doing that is that that was kind of uncharted territory. You know, you're not saying, oh, this this happened when Jesus was in Nazareth in the synagogue in AD 29. You're saying, oh, this was just a private conversation between Jesus and Mary Magdalene that nobody knew about until I told you about it just now. And the reason they would do that is that no one could contradict them. If you said, oh, I'm reporting to you here this private conversation that Jesus had after his resurrection with somebody else, no one can sort of say... No, you didn't, because you go, Yeah, you did. It it was private, it was secret, you know. So, you do have this sort of interesting moving in and out of uh, different genres, which we always cause messiness and complexity. And the thing is, I think in general, one of my feelings about this whole discussion of canon is we shouldn't shy away from complexity and fuzziness and, and not being sure. I think we should resist the inner fundamentalist that wants to say this is in and this is out and sometimes say hey, you know maybe we should include this for the purposes of discussion in our own idea of what mm-hmm. canon is you know that's that sounds an awful lot like uh, something that Paul Cornell wrote about a few yes. years ago yes it, it, I would recommend to all the listeners of 2 NTL if they've not read it already there's a great essay I would say classic blog post by Paul Cornell um, I'm guessing it's about 2007-ish um, in which he Almost puts down this as a a sort of mantra, you know, kind of there is no such thing as canon within the Doctor Who world. Now, I wouldn't want to go that far because I like the idea that there are certain things which have a special authority. But at the same time, Paul's brilliant on this because he's basically saying if we tie ourselves up in knots about what's in and what's out, we end up disparaging huge amounts of content just because we have some spurious idea of whether they're in or out. We've decided
1: that they don't matter anymore, right. and they can never benefit anybody else who reads them ever again.
2: Well, one of, one of the best examples, and I think Paul mentions this in his essay, is, is the Peter Cushing movies. Now, people like me that grew up in England in the 1970s, quite often that was the only Doctor Who that you could get. Other than the current series that was running Because we didn't have repeats You know, as we know, if we'd had more repeats We wouldn't have so many lost episodes But those movies, I mean, I remember them running often When I was a kid, like, you, you know, in, on a Saturday morning You would catch Peter Cushing, Doctor Who and the Daleks For us, that was almost more real as Doctor Who Than Doctor Who Because we were so familiar with it even more of because we had people like Roy Castle in it and Bernard Cribbins in, in the, that we knew from other areas of, of life like Bernard Cribbins doing the Wombles and so on. But, but the, but the thing is, that if you'd have said to me as a kid that that's not real Doctor Who, I would say, "Well, you're crazy. It's called Doctor Who. He's it's got, got tar- Daleks. It's got dar-ics dar-ics yeah. in And what more do you want? Mm-hmm. You know." And and I think that's one of the things that, that is is is, is about the, the bad side. Uh, this, is, this is one of the, the bad things about people getting obsessed with canon we sort of marginalise things that we should be celebrating and I think we should absolutely celebrate the Cushing, Doctor for example and we're, we're seeing some, some movement towards that now I think people are beginning and, and I think you know, there were lots of us... When we when we saw Doctor Who Started Again in 2005, first thing I thought when we went into the TARDIS, Peter Cushing's TARDIS, you know, we can see the inside doors of the TARDIS just as we could in the 60s, Cushing TARDIS. And I suspect that's because people like Russell T. Davis kind of my kind of age, and that they're sort of, you know, knackered, you know, middle-aged men that can remember this <laughs> stuff from their childhood, and they want to recreate it into it. But so they're not bothered about, you know, these kind of spurious, canonical, hard line boundaries. And I think we should be wary about them too. So with all of the risks of, uh, you know,
1: with, with all of the downsides of mm-hmm. canon, why do we as fans care so
2: much about it? I think part of it is just our love for the show, isn't it? And when you love a show, you do want to start saying, OK, well, is this real Doctor Who or isn't it? And I think, you see, I, I want to hold on to the idea of, of canon in some sense. I, I want to kind of get, get, get some sort of idea that there are certain things which are Doctor Who, real Doctor Who, and certain things that aren't. Some of the kind of fan fiction stuff that you might watch on YouTube or so on, They're thoroughly enjoyable, they're great fun But there's no sense in which they're real Doctor Who No sense in which future generations will say Okay, now let's kind of knuckle down and study Doctor Who We're not going to be looking at that sort of stuff The difficulty, I suppose, is is the stuff in that sort of uh, very huge middle The stuff in between, stuff that no one denies is real Doctor Who Like the stuff that's on TV Tom Baker, Peter Davison, whatever and all the sort of very obviously sort of fanfictiony stuff—that huge stuff in the middle, which is the, which is the, which is the uh, dubious area. But the reason we keep talking about that, I think, is because we kind of love the show so much. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, lots of us when we listen to Big Finish, we want that. We want to welcome that into our conception of what Doctor Who is.
1: You know, I, I might push back with you a little bit on uh, on an aspect of that because. Uh, some of the things in the middle, uh, mm-hmm. in, in that middle space on um, Canon or not, are things like the B, the BBV videos, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. downtime and things like that, which were, uh, adapted into, uh, novels, uh, which, you know, the name Kate Lethbridge Stewart mm-hmm. came from these sort of, mm-hmm. actually it, the word apocryphal is mm-hmm. actually a, a, a good analogy, Right. um, some of our listeners who aren't familiar with different branches and denominations of Christianity, there are different Bibles with different books that are included or not included, depending on which tradition you come from. Absolutely. So some of this fan material, Mm -hmm. I I saw some good fan video at TimeGate, uh, Mm -hmm. presenting an alternative alternative doctor, the so-called forgotten doctor, Mm -hmm. after uh, the eighth doctor. Um, Some of that stuff, depending on who it's connected to, and how it
2: plays out over mm-hmm. years may become part of the canon mm-hmm. over time, wouldn't you say? That's one of the glorious things about the whole discussion, though, isn't it? That as time goes on, apocryphal texts can somehow take on a canonical um, reality. I mean, you know, let's, let's kind of um, keep this grounded as well in early Christianity. Let's, uh, most people won't know that the first Bible that we have, the first full Greek Bible bound between two covers— it's called Codex Sinaiticus dates from the fourth century. Apologise to Doctor Who fans that don't want too much actual uh, detail, but that first Greek Bible it contains a text called the Shepherd of Hermas, which you will not find in any contemporary Bible. You go into Barnes and Noble, you will not find a Bible that's got the Shepherd of Hermas in it. But the first extant Greek Christian Bible we have has that text in there, and. That's just like a really good reminder that what is canon for us isn't always canon for people in the past. And that's why I think it's useful for us to be reminded in the uh, the discussion of Doctor Who that what we might think of as being cut and fast canon isn't going to be for other people. And I like that fuzziness. And one of those things about that fuzziness is that little details will find their way ultimately into public consciousness. I mean, you can think about it in terms as well of characters in popular tradition. Let's think of the three wise men that come to visit Jesus at his birth. Well, there aren't three wise men in in Matthew's Gospel. There's a group of people called Magi. We don't know, you know, who they were, where they came from. We certainly don't know what their names are. But tradition supplies the names, and if you watch a Jesus film, they've got the names that tradition supplies. The apocryphal stuff makes its way into the text. Veronica, on the road to Calvary, the woman who who basically gives a cloth to Jesus to wipe his face with. Very important part of the kind of Catholic tradition, not in the Bible she's an apocryphal person who's found her way into that and people now remember her more than they do lots of people that actually occur in the text and I think that's the fun thing about your Kate Lethbridge-Stewart example someone that emerges from something that everybody would call a kind of a non-canonical apocryphal sort of bit of Doctor Who finds her way into the mainstream canon and that's then exciting because then we say well what do we then make of the the thing she comes from that's fun I like that kind of uh, side of things and To be honest, it reminds us that the whole discussion, in a way, is a bit of a game. It's a game amongst people who love something. And the the discussion of canon is an expression of our love for the show, I think.
1: I've got a love-hate relationship with the Mm -hmm. uh, concept of canon um, and and Doctor Who um, because I see all of the contradictions. For me, it's off a piece of the the unit dating controversy. Mm -hmm. And whereas some people uh, either... Do their damnedest to try to square that circle, and others decide that no, the unit stories happened in the seventies. No, the unit stories <laughs> happened in the eighties. You know, it's very clear. And uh, and this was one of my earliest podcasts where I you know I made the when I when I hear the unit when I hear a specific date in Doctor Who, I hear in my head the uh, Miss Othmar song sound from Peanuts cartoons <laughs> <going> <laughs> over <laughs> that. It just it just sort of washes (laughs) over me. Um, it seems irrelevant, but I do, I suppose if I confess to it, have something of a personal canon, Mm -hmm. the stories that matter the most to me, that make the most sense to me. Lung Barrow is not in my personal canon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the, the, an, an unearthly child in which Susan is introduced as the doctor's real life granddaughter is, Mm -hmm. um, is there such a thing as a personal canon, though? If we wanted to be really particular about using this word canon as Doctor Who fans always do, is there such a thing as personal I canon? I think that's a
2: great question, actually. And, and one of the things I'm struck about a lot of contemporary religious people is that they will talk about my Bible, for example. They won't talk about the Bible. to so what talk about my Bible. It becomes a personal thing. It's their own thing with their own bound between leather covers and they've got their own highlighting pens and, all, and, and the rest we're a bit like that. We actually have our own personal kind of thing. That's an excellent point. I, mean, I, I always say for me, I, although I enjoyed Dimensions in Time at the time because they're, you know... Well, for a start... You're a freak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the thing is, it was exciting because suddenly there was Doctor Who on our screens in some form. I know in retrospect it's easy to, to you know, to sort of diss that thing. But on some level, we'd actually got Doctor Who on our on our screens again. But I don't really like the idea that's part of canon. I find that kind of um, troubling, to think that that actually sort of took place. And what's more, you know... um the fact that, what was it, is it an army of ghosts where they're actually, they are, uh, they're actually depicted watching EastEnders? I feel that that actually nicely contradicts the idea of Dimensions in Time where the Doctor's in EastEnders. So we can go, okay, we can. And that's a kind EastEnders of. EastEnders is no longer canonical. Right. Yes, that's right, yeah. So that's one of those things where we've talked about a retrospective thing where things become canonical. That's a thing where through the later series something becomes non canonical. But. Um, Yes, I can't remember where this where this was. Where this was? Uh, oh, personal canon. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And and what might be quite nice is if we were a bit more honest about that as well. And if we would say that a lot of these discussions about what's canon and what's not actually boils down to what I like and what I don't. You know, because you'll sometimes hear fans saying, "Well, I wish this wasn't canon because there's an episode they don't like," which translates. Canon is good stuff. Non-canonical stuff is bad stuff, you
1: know? (laughs) Is there a a, um, religious history
2: uh, equivalent to that of uh, canon being what I like and don't like? Absolutely very much so. In fact, one of the first most famous Christian heretics was a chap called Marcion, who basically decided that he was going to create his own canon. And his canon was he liked the letters of Paul and he liked Luke's gospel. And even then he had to take the bits that he didn't like out of luke's gospel so he had his own personal canon and that was regarded as a heresy by lots of early christians because they said well you can't pick and choose which bits you you know which bits you want and which bits you don't want you've got to have the whole you know the whole thing that we decide you know is the thing but but the other side I suppose to all that is that we sometimes think... I mean, if you're familiar with like popular discussions of religion and popular discussions of early Christianity, you sometimes get the impression, it's sort of the Dan Brown type of world, that there was a kind of a mean, nasty council with big hats that all sat down and decided, this is in and this is out, and we'll burn all the stuff that didn't get into the canon and perhaps burn some of the authors of those books as well, if we possibly could... And actually, although the little elements of truth in that, it's, it's really such an appalling caricature that it's, it isn't really terribly helpful. And the truth about canon is, and this is true, I think, in other religions as well, they're not experts on those, but the truth about canon is canon emerges by consensus. It emerges by the people who consume the texts deciding what they regard as authoritative text, what they regard as, in, in the Christian sense, as scripture. And the analogy there with uh, Doctor Who is, ultimately, it's a question of consensus. It's a question of what we have decided actually counts. That's why... debate is so interesting, because we think it matters about what actually counts and what actually doesn't count.
1: Do we as Doctor Who fans really get to decide that, or is it decided by the showrunner at any given time? Well,
2: the great thing I think about um, people like Russell T. Davis and uh, Stephen Moffat, and then those before him, before them, you know, previous showrunners, is they don't actually tend to pronounce on what counts and what doesn't count. I mean, they, most, they probably care less about it than most of the fans. I think they probably do, and and I, I mean, and also it's a sign of people's love of their versions of Doctor Who that they want to remake them in comic format or do, you know, other versions of of the same things and so on. So, um, I think the lack of pronouncements from, say, the powers that be is an excellent thing, and and I think you know maybe. We, we've got it about right in Doctor Who fandom in that it's the, it's the fans who decide. It's the fans who, 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 as a consensus, work out what they think is coming. That's about right. That's about how it should be. And there is an analogy there with the early church. The big difference, of course, and this is why we get ourselves so tied into knots, in the early church, there was a question of antiquity what they would often say when they discuss which books count as Scripture and which don't. It was the oldest ones that counted, right? And we don't quite have that same analogy because Doctor Who's still being made. So we've got parallel running to one another, obviously official stuff, like, you know, Matt Smith, Doctor Who, Stephen Moffat, blah, blah, blah. And we've also got the fan stuff running alongside it. They didn't really have that quite same analogy in the early church. That's where it does sort of break down.
1: Is this notion of canon a good thing or a bad thing when it comes right down to fans obsessive fans because mm-hmm. casual viewers mm-hmm. don't give a care mm-hmm. about canon mm-hmm. and, and casual viewers don't have these conversations mm-hmm. um, is, are these conversations about canon and what matters and what is real Doctor Who helpful or harmful to um, the experience of
2: the show I think that's a great question, actually. And, and it's, it's good to be reminded of the so-called casual fan because they all would be utterly baffled by this discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, I know in my teaching, when I'm talking about canon in early Christianity, and, and I say, is anyone familiar with the use of canon in other contexts, like maybe Doctor Who or Star Trek? Or, they look at me you know, as if to say, who is this guy? You know, what, <laughs> what, what is that? So, so I think the thing is, my feeling is, If it's leading to enjoyable intellectual exchange, which on some level helps us to appreciate Doctor Who in all its facets more, great. If we're giving ourselves an ulcer in discussing it, perhaps best to just ease off a little bit.
0: Thank you for joining us on this week in time travel. You can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Who this week. Chip is on Twitter at numeral2minute time lord and I am on Twitter and Tumblr at huvian feminism. You can find Mark Goodacre at Goodacre on Twitter. And yes, this podcast exists on Facebook too.
1: Thank you to Christopher Breen for giving us some original theme music for this week in time travel. To David J. Lohr for giving us uh, artwork that graces the podcast. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever. And thank you so much to all of you who are members of the Incomparable Network. Uh, your support of this podcast it means an awful lot to us. Until next time, this is This Week in Time Travel.
0: Bye bye.